Father, we ask now that as we approach your word, that you would give us insight and clarity. Lord, that you would help us to really understand just how much you love us. And Lord, because you love us, God, you, you tell us things at times that aren't always easy to hear. But Lord, I pray that when we are confronted with a word that maybe meets backlash, Lord, that, that meets some resistance, Lord, make us immediately mindful of the cross, that we would remember just how much you love us, that you would send your one and only son for us. Bless these students, God, encourage their hearts, build faith in them that would stand on the solid rock of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Have you ever been accused of being someone who just goes full tilt and overkill in life? Um, The term overkill is an interesting expression because usually it's a military term in which the military will send an an enormous amount of artillery uh, shells or or bombs or, or, you know, bullets at a target that really didn't require as much that, that they sent, and that's why they call it overkill, right? Like, um, but when I think of overkill, I think of the times that I was mistakenly granted the request of my four-year-old that if she could put sprinkles on her cupcake, right? That is when I think of overkill, where did you really need half a bottle of sprinkles <laughs> for your cupcake? And in her mind, she had it all laid out as to why, right? Are you that person when you have like a, a, just a small assignment of homework where you put six, seven hours into one assignment, making sure that it's absolutely perfect? <laughs> just a little bit of an overkill, right? Sometimes overkill is a good thing. Sometimes it makes sure that we get the job done and that it's, it's done efficiently. And there's also a sense sometimes overkill kind of just makes us look a little wasteful. Um, that you care too much. And so sometimes overkill isn't even applied to a certain task, but it's applied to how much you care about something. How deeply, you know, when, back in the, when I was, uh, just got married, there was this really popular show called Lost, and it had probably one of the worst endings of any show ever watched. But if you would talk to people who loved this show called Lost, they would become so passionate about defending their understanding of how the show ended, which tells you just how horrible it was that there was like a million views about what really happened, right? But some people were just so overkill and maybe like you defending your, your team or defending your favorite artist, Sean Mendez, I don't know who your artist is, right? You just become so tight-fisted and you kind of, with your convictions, you just become so overkill. I share all of this because tonight... We are looking at a passage in which Jesus has often been accused of just being full tilt overkill. Matter of fact, uh, I once was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller and he was talking about how one time there was an English class, I believe at Harvard or some Ivy League school, and the assignment was to read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So a bunch of people at Ivy League school not familiar with the truths and the claims of Jesus, and they read the Sermon on the Mount blind. And all of their responses were how incredible and ridiculous 
What in the world did I just read? The reaction to Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount is, who can live this kind of life? This is impossible. That if I'm even angry at someone, I murdered them in my heart. That if I ever use the words, I swear that I just don't keep my word at all. But maybe the most strong reaction to this whole sermon comes in the few verses that we're considering tonight. Would you look down at the passage and read with me in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 27, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with a lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. Most people struggle with what Jesus is teaching here. Most people, matter of fact, I have a very vivid memory. Junior year, history class, Chris Brown right next to me. Um, Speaks very well, pretty edgy, pretty smart. And he gets up there in this kind of funny way and he says, there is no way the Bible is true. Are you, are you telling me that Christians actually believe this stuff? Do you guys know, and he's informing the class, that Jesus says that if you ever look at a woman lustfully, that you have to take out your right eye and cut off your hand? If we actually believe the words of Jesus, there wouldn't be a single person in the world who would have eyesight. And the bell rings with no defense given to what Jesus is actually teaching. But praise God, we have the time to actually understand what is Jesus teaching here? Is he full till overkill? What is the point he is trying to make? And the point is this. Because sin kills us, we should be killing it. Because sin kills us, we should be killing it. And what I want us to see tonight is is three realities of what sin is. What, what is sin? What, is it, what does it do? And how should we respond to it? So this is a, a neat passage. So let's just let's dive into it. First, first reality of sin. We're just going to talk about one. What is the nature of sin? What is the nature of sin? So again, Jesus begins the same way he began last week. You have heard that it was said. Now remember with me, Jesus is talking to a primarily religious audience. These are Jews who know the Old Testament law very well. They have heard the law a lot. And what he's referring to is the seventh commandment of the 10th commandment, which is, the seventh commandment is, you shall not commit adultery. Now I'm pretty sure all of you know what adultery is, but let me just go ahead and explain, right? When you get married, you enter into a covenant with another person and you in that covenant say, I will forsake all others. 
Now, what that means is not that you're the only person I'm going to have a relationship with in any capacity. What that means is for any sexual fulfillment or my true emotional you know, partnership, I will not look to any other person except for you. And what adultery is, is breaking that commitment with another person who is not your husband or your wife. Now, here's the thing that I love about teaching this passage to high schoolers. Because the response that I think most single people have towards this passage is probably the same response that the Pharisees and all of these religious people had. Don't commit adultery. Oh, I'm good with that one. No problem here. Now, the reason why it's no problem for you is because I only see three married people in this room. All of you, you aren't married unless you have some deep, dark secret you got to tell me about, right? Um, and that would be an interesting story to hear about, right? Abby, you go to school in California, we don't know what happens, right? Right? None of you are married. So you say like, well, hey, um, I can't really commit adultery because I don't got no ring by spring. But what's interesting is that the same response probably was of the Pharisees and scribes. They'd be like, well, hey, I've never actually, you know, committed adultery. I'm good. I've never broken the seventh commandment. But Jesus wants them to understand the true nature of sin. Here is what... Here's where the Pharisees went wrong. They never learned to understand the Ten Commandments or the law correctly. We take all of these commands in isolation and we say, oh, don't murder. I'm good there. We talked about that last week, the Sixth Commandment. Never murder anyone. I'm good. But Jesus says, no, here's the thing, though. When you're actually angry at someone in your heart, it's the same thing. Don't commit adultery. Hey, never committed adultery. But Jesus says, hey, guess what? Actually, that 10th that commandment, don't covet your neighbor's wife. When you take that one and you combine it with don't commit adultery, you're actually doing the same thing. And so just because you're not married, don't think that you're off the hook here because the nature of sin is this. That it's not just what we do. It's who we are. It's, it's the power that is ingrained in all of our hearts. You see, we have a, a fundamental misunderstanding about the nature of sin. We often think that sin is simply the things that we do. But sin is actually more so the attitude of the heart. And that's why Jesus goes on to say, he says, but I tell you that everyone who even looks at a woman lustfully or looks at a man lustfully, he's not just singling the guys here, has already committed adultery with her in his what? Heart. This is why Jesus says, out of the heart flows impurity and evil thoughts and wrong desires. So the nature of sin is this power that has evil desires that makes us do the sinful thing. The nature of sin is why when I tell you, don't think about a pink elephant. I did. What do you think about? Okay. When I say don't look at a pink, don't, don't think about, just 
Whatever you do, don't think about a pink elephant. <laughs> right? More or less, you will begin to start thinking about elephants that are pink. You see, this is why, this is, this is the Apostle Paul's argument in the book of Romans. He says, when the law was given to God's people, do you know what it did? It actually increased sin. Because when you actually give people law, here's what happens. Hey, don't, don't go over there, Neil. Why not? Well, because I said so. What's the temptation? I'm going to go over there. And because there is a law, trespasses increase. And so what Jesus is trying to say here is he's saying, listen, the command to not have an affair or to commit adultery is not really even able to keep. Because your heart, no matter what, is going to begin thinking about that. You're going to have evil desires. And so really, the purpose of the law has always been this one thing. To reveal just how much of a sinner you are. Now, there's a lot of debate here. Is Jesus saying that if I ever just look at a woman or if I ever look at a man and think they're attractive, is that adultery? Right? I was just at the beach the other day and, you know, walking around downtown Seaside, Oregon. If I, if I happened to see a woman who I thought was attractive, my wife went, did I just commit adultery? I'll tell you what I think. I do not think that Jesus is saying that if you're ever attracted to somebody, that is adultery. What Jesus is actually getting at here is the desire to move past that. The desire to, to really, in your mind, commit to thinking about what would it like, what would it be like to be with that person? What would it be, and you, where you take the, the good and natural, you know, thing that God has given us and you make it all about yourself. Because here's what I have to affirm. Jesus would see the beauty of women, and he would, he would praise God for it, but he would never actually take it to a point where it was lustful. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about normal human attraction. He's talking about lust. And lust is always desiring something that God has forbidden. So ultimately, when you sit there and you're tempted with a sin... And maybe you, 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 um, you don't give into it. Maybe you're tempted and you're like, hey, this is a bad idea right now. I shouldn't do this. And for somehow, some reason, whether you white knuckle it or God's grace, you say no to the sin. Right? And you walk away. You see, what should concern you more is not whether or not you did or didn't do that sin, but why were you even tempted in the first place? Why did my heart even want that? And that is, is probably more along the lines of what the nature of sin is. It is why does it even, why do you even have the thoughts? Why do you even have the desires of your heart? And so ultimately, when we think about sin, we need to move beyond this understanding of simply don't do this and do that. But what you need to understand is that every single part of you is a sinner by choice and by nature. It's not what we do, it's who we are. And just, just by one way of application, talking about sin is a very unpopular thing to do these days. At any cost, we justify sin, we downplay it, we, we call it imperfections, we call it weaknesses. 
But if you do not have a proper biblical understanding of sin, what Jesus did on the cross will never make any sense. You know, a couple years ago, we went to the Gospel of Mark as a youth group, and, and oftentimes in Mark it says, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. Why? Why was Jesus insistent on making his way to Jerusalem? So that he could do his work on the cross. And why was his work on the cross necessary? Because of our sin. Without understanding the nature of sin, there is no, no talk about holiness, no talk about evangelism, no good news in the gospel. And Jesus here is giving us a picture. Hey, you think you're good? But guess what? If you even lustfully think about someone, you've committed adultery. And this is an indictment on every single human being because, man, you know, how, how many of us can read these words and not feel some shame? Is there a single person in the entire world who wouldn't read this and immediately just want to turn away? So we have the nature of sin, but second, Jesus talks about the consequences of sin, the consequences of sin. So in verse 29, he gives two illustrations here. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, right? For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And the second illustration, verse 30, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better than you to lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, I want to take the second part of both those verses. Do you see what the consequences of following and giving into your sin is? Jesus says it very clearly. To be thrown into hell. Sin is a costly mistake. It is of the most consequence. It is more important about what you do with your sin than anything else in all of human life. This is why, as Christians, we need to put our soul and our eternity at the priority of our lives. Nothing else will have more eternal ramifications for your soul than your sin. You can study all that you want, get the grades you want, play sports, make money, make relationships. You can do all of that. All of those have temporal consequences. But Jesus says, here's the thing. Your sin, the sin, not, not just did I do adultery, did I not do adultery, but the sin of your heart has ramifications. The ramifications is hell. You see, something that I'm always reminded of is when we think about the cross, when we think about Jesus dying on the cross, the first instinct, and it's not a bad instinct, it's a good instinct, our first instinct is to always remind ourselves of look how much God loves me. Right? One of my favorite songs is How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Right? What a great song to sing. You know, that a wretch like me, God, Jesus would pay for me. You know? But here's the thing also about the cross. It's, it's an indictment of how bad you are as well. It shows you the consequences of sin. The consequences of sin is living under God's wrath. That's what hell is. Right now, 
Because God has not punished you or killed you because you sinned, right? God has every right. The second I sin to punish me, to kill me, to cast me off into hell. But the bottom line is, is that God is patient. He is forbearing. He gives people time to repent. Praise the Lord. This is true in your life. Praise the Lord that when you first sinned, he did not wipe you off the map. He's given you time, people who would share Christ with you, the opportunity to repent and to believe in Christ. So the consequences here are incredible. And, and I think, high schoolers, the word I would have for you is this. Yes, work hard in life. Yes, work hard to have a good future. Always think first about your eternity, though. Always think about your soul. Your soul is so much more valuable than how much money you will make. Your soul is so much more valuable than the friends that you could have. Your soul is so much more valuable than having other people's approval of you, right? Doesn't Jesus also say, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but yet what? Loses his soul in the process? Just a, just a horn. Right, we're fine. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Think about the thing that you most want in this life. Just an easy life, a nice life, good circumstances, money, nice house, whatever, I don't know. Imagine you get it all. Imagine you get everything you hoped for. But you lose your soul in the process. It's never worth it. It's never worth it. So, high schoolers, every week when you come here, I am just so encouraged that you're here. You guys, in a way, don't really need to hear this because you're doing it. You're here. You're coming. I pray throughout the week that you would be continually reading God's word, that you would be prioritizing your walk with Christ. If that is you, amen. Keep going. Keep doing this. Don't let this just be a bad or a season in your life. Keep believing that, that, that treasuring your soul and, 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 and loving Jesus is, is far better than what this temporal world can offer you. And so ultimately, if we understand the consequences of sin, that it, that it makes me separated from God, that, it, that if I don't do something about my sin, I will be thrown into hell Jesus says here, third point, that you need to be killing sin. Last point. So we talked about the nature of sin, the consequences of sin. Third thing, we need to be killing sin. And this is the part where maybe people have the most confusion or think Jesus is being the most dramatic, most overkill. He says here, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Now, my friend, Chris, who wasn't a Christian, if he, if Jesus here was actually talking about literally getting rid of your eyes when you sin, he is right indeed. The whole world would be blind. But let me be clear. Jesus is not actually calling for literal surgery. Jesus is not 
literally telling people that they need to go cut off their hands and pluck out their eyes. One, for the very fact, it wouldn't actually help you. Because what did we say in our first point? The nature of sin is in our hearts. The Lord knows it's true that if I were to lose my eyesight, that I would still think and come up with sinful things. The Lord knows that if I were to lose my right hand, that I would still sin. The solution to our sin is never external. So what then does Jesus mean when he says, if, 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 your, if your right eye is going to cause you to sin, get rid of it. If your right hand is going to make you sin, cut it off. What is he, what is he getting at? What he is getting at is this. Take your sin seriously. Take your sin seriously. If sin kills you, if sin puts you in hell, more than that, if sin is what puts your Savior on a cross, we shouldn't do it. And I was reading a commentary and he was saying, if a true believer truly understands the death of their Savior and the suffering that he went through, the greatest motivation that we would all have for not continuing into sin is knowing that Christ took our sins upon himself. There's a lot of motivations for not sinning, right? If you are a habitual liar, lying is going to make it really hard to be in healthy relationships. And so there's a practical reason of why you shouldn't be lying as much, right? If you're addicted to gambling, I can think of a lot of things of how it's going to show up in your life, right? And there's earthly and temporal benefits right now to stop sinning. But ultimately, as Christians, our motivation for, for not sinning is because we want to please our Savior. And so ultimately, Jesus, though, is not advocating for just a bunch of actions. Hey, kill sin this week, I tell you. Like, okay, what should I do? Well, don't do this, don't do that, do this, and maybe a little bit more of that. That goes against what Jesus has been teaching. Because again, where does our sin flow from? It flows from our hearts. High schoolers, maybe the most important thing I can say tonight is this. When you sin, you do not just behave your way into sin. You always worship with your heart into sin. And therefore, when you are learning to kill sin, you don't just behave your way out. You don't just say, stop that. Bad Aaron, don't do that. It's almost as if you're just trying to cut off your right hand. It's just out of my own strength and my own power. But what are we We're to worship? Find new worships that we help our hearts out of sin. So please hear me correctly. Holiness, living a life of holiness is not simply just about action. It's not simply about trying to do the right thing. Now, holiness will look like doing good things. Yes, it will but it is not primarily just trying to. Let's be honest here. What are we talking about? We're talking about lust. What's the example Jesus is giving us here? Sexual immorality. 
how many of us have struggled with this sin again and again and again and again. And all we try to do, again, is, is on our own power, our own strength, just try to stop. But what's the issue? It shows our hearts. Out of the heart flows evil desires. And so how, how then do we learn to kill sin? If it's not just my power, if sin is out of my heart, what, what does the Bible have to say? Do me a favor. I'm glad you asked. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to turn to two quick passages. At the very end of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul talks about the futileness of just trying to beat your body into submission. I think this is primarily the way most Christians try to not sin. So look at verse, chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but what do I do? I discipline my body and keep it under control. Thus, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now go a few pages to the left, just a few pages to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. We're going to take both these passages and do our best to come up with a principle. All right, Romans chapter 13. And we're going to start in verse 13, but we're going to think about verse 14. Verse 13 of Romans 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but... Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, when you think about both of those passages, here's what Paul is saying. When it comes to killing sin, another word that Christians have used historically to describe the the idea of killing sin is what we call mortification. We want to mortify the flesh. The whole Christian life is a battle between walking by the Spirit or walking by the flesh. And Paul says, I don't do this. I don't train my, I don't learn to kill my sin by just randomly and aimlessly hitting my body and saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to do this. And, and this week, I'm going to really make sure that, you know, if I struggled with this sin, that I, I'm not going to do it anymore. But in Romans 13, here's what he says. Put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh. See, don't think that the Bible isn't practical. So here, here are the two misconceptions. One, one, we fall into kind of, we're going to do it of our own power, our own strength, and we just say, I'm going to stop it. But the other problem we have is, I'm just going to wait for the Lord to do it, right? If I can't do it on my own strength, Lord, just come change my heart. Lord, make sure that I don't do this. Maybe we pray a little bit and we say, I got this sin. I got this problem. Lord, just do your work. I'm open to the Holy Spirit. Boom. 
But look what he says here. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The best illustration I can come up with is this. And maybe you know this illustration, maybe you don't. We are all mini gremlins. Okay, if you've never seen gremlins, it's like this movie in the 80s. And there's these cute little bears kind of. But if you, if you feed them after midnight and if you give them water, they just kind of reproduce. And, and some of the gremlins are like really evil and you know, they just take over the world and they take over buildings and, and it, it's kind of a silly, dumb movie. But, but when it comes to a gremlin, there's like very special rules. They have to get a, 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 the right amount of sleep and, and all of these things. But the second a gremlin breaks all of the protocols, all hell breaks loose, right? Another way of saying this is that inside of us, there is a fire a heart that desires for sin to reign. And if you're trying to put out a fire, here's the thing. You shouldn't be around gasoline. You shouldn't be around things that are going to make the fire bigger. Guys, let me be honest. When it comes to sexual sin, we do ourselves no favors by constantly watching things, listening to things, joking about things that only add to the sinful desires that we have. Learning to walk by the Spirit means that we understand there are things that we do. We discipline our bodies, but yet we also rely on the power of the Spirit. I don't want to be legalistic and say, if you watch a certain thing, then you're not a Christian. But I am being very clear when I say so much of the... The the sins that we struggle with is because we are lazy to actually not putting yourself in a situation where you might sin. And so learning to make no provision for the flesh means learning to find good accountability. It means finding patterns in your sin. Hey, typically in this situation, when I'm feeling like this or when I'm alone here, I, I, I mess up, I sin. Make no provision for that. And the reason, guys, again, why do we take sin so seriously? One, because it has eternal consequences. But to Christians, your motivation should always be, how dare I continue to do the thing that killed my best friend? How dare I take sin so lightly when Jesus took it so seriously? How dare I continue to again and again and again tolerate the sin of my heart when Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, he set his face to the cross, that he would become our substitute? And so ultimately, when we think about Jesus' words here, he is making a point Sin is not just the things we do. It's, it's, it's us. It's our hearts. We're all guilty of it. And it has dire consequences. So take it seriously. And the last thing I'll just say tonight, the best way to truly fight sin, to make no desire, to make, to, to make nothing to gratify desires, is, is what Paul says here. Put on the Lord Jesus. Put on the Lord Jesus. Do you know what that means? That means wooing your heart 
with grace. You see, listen, your heart, your life is always going to do what it desires most. When you sin, what you are saying in that moment is I desire these things more than Jesus. The more we talk about the sweet grace of Jesus and who he is, and the more we, we hide ourselves from the things that may lead our evil, to evil hearts, the more we put on Christ. Here's what will begin to happen. A little bit more each day. We kill sin. Right? In the famous words of John Owen, be killing sin or it'll be killing you. Let's pray. Lord, we, we ask for your strength, for your help. Lord, we know that fighting sin in our own power is a, is a useless battle. Father, please help us. Give us the grace to put on the Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord, in the fight and the battle against sin. Lord, there's not a person here that God can claim innocence. But Lord, we want to be pure in heart. God, help us to be poor in spirit, that we may see our need for the Lord Jesus. Help us, God, to make no provision for the flesh. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.